Chapter thirty seven of England, Canada, and the Great War. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. England, Canada, and the Great War by Louis Georges Desjardins. Chapter thirty seven. The Last Peace Proposals. I was writing the last pages of this work when the surprising news was flashed over the cable that Austria-Hungary had taken the initiative of suggesting peace discussion, which proposition she had communicated to all the belligerents, to the neutral governments, and even to the Holy See. Without delay the rumour proved to be true. The very next day the full text of Austria's communication was published all over the world. I have read it with great care, and I confess with profound amazement. From several standpoints this document is astonishing and weighty, astonishing as it reveals more than ever before the astuteness of the inspiration which dictated it, weighty because it derives its importance from one of the most serious situation of the world's affairs ever recorded in history. It is difficult to suppose that the Austrian government really expected that their move would be considered as the outcome of their own initiative. Not the hand, but the sword, the dominating sword, behind the throne is clearly visible the carefully drafted document issued from vienna was evidently dictated from berlin it is stamped with the teutonic seal after the experience of the last four years i can safely say of the last half-century as well over-credulous is he who believes that swayed as she has been by her overpowering northern neighbour austria would have dared to address such a proposition to the allies if she had not been asked by germany to do so it is rather amusing to read the news cabled from amsterdam holland on the 20th of September, that an official communication issued in Berlin said that the German ambassador in Vienna that day presented Germany's reply to the recent Austro-Hungarian peace note. The purport of the note was that Germany agreed to participate in the proposed exchange of views. This is indeed high-class cynicism. The document would certainly call for somewhat lengthy and strong comments, but they can be dispensed with after the curt, sharp and decisive reply it has elicited from those it was intended to seduce and deceive. President Wilson was the first to answer a positive, a formidable no, which, thundered out from Washington, was echoed with equal force in London, Paris, and Rome. So that the astute attempt to deter the Allies from the glorious course they were forced to adopt by Germany, and by Austria herself, was doomed to failure, and bound to meet with the contempt it deserved but a few remarks expressing the retort that strikes one's mind on reading the Austrian communication are in order and had better be made. The whole stress of the document is that peace should be restored as soon as possible on account of the sacrifices and sufferings war nowadays entail, and in conformity with unanimous wishes of the peoples engaged in the conflict. Did Austria ever suppose that, when she addressed that sadly famous and outrageous ultimatum to Servia, dated the 23rd of July, 1914, which she well knew would bring about the cataclysm she now feigns to deplore, and which Germany and herself were longing for, the war would be only a child's play, a game of golf, or something of the kind. Was Austria at that time cherishing the kind feelings of the German consprince who, on being asked by an American lady in a social event at Berlin why he was so desirous of seeing a great war, replied that, quote, it was only for the fun of the thing, end quote that war, when once declared, would have terrible consequences, would cost millions of dear lives, would cripple many more millions for the rest of their earthly days, would cost innumerable millions, even billions, of hard-earned money, would destroy an immense amount of accumulated wealth, would delay for years the onward march of humanity towards more and more prosperous destinies, was not only foreseen before it broke out, 
but was positively known to be pregnant with all such disasters but what was not foreseen not known nor imagined as at all possible after nearly twenty centuries of christianity was that war being on germany the power responsible for it guilty of the crime of having let loose the frightful hurricane would multiply the horrors inseparable from military operations with unconceivable barbarous acts condemned by all international moral and divine laws it was not foreseen nor supposed possible that heroism would be challenged by murder that the glorious defenders of their country's rights would have to fight against sanguinary savages obeying the barbarian orders of a modern attila it was not foreseen that hundreds of children women old men wounded soldiers would be assassinated on the open sea and sent to their eternal watery graves so far as the horrors of regular warfare were concerned they were as i have just said very well known and was it not on account of this knowledge that great britain and france had exhausted all their efforts in favour of the maintenance of peace was it not out of this knowledge that england had for more than twenty years implored the berlin government to agree at least to partial disarmament to discontinue or at the least to reduce warship building operations when austria bowing herself down to the ground under the german tyrannical lash unjustly and cruelly declared war against weak servia she knew what the horrors of the conflict could not fail to be how is it that at that time she was not moved by the sympathetic feelings expressed in her recent appeal for peace negotiations how is it that austria and her inspiring angel germany are getting so nervous about the misfortunes of war just at the time when they are forced to admit that they are utterly unable to realize the aims for which they brought on the frightful struggle how is it that those who could order with clear conscience and fiendish delight the violation of belgium guaranteed neutrality the sinking of the lusitania and so many other ships carrying non-combatants children women and old men the murder of so many innocent victims the belgian deportations the destruction of the monuments of art the work of human genius are suddenly moved to pity just as they see the handwriting on the wall warning them that their days of foul enjoyments are at end how is it that the voice who dictated the following sentence was not silenced and choked by the abominable lie it contains how is it that the hand that wrote it was not instantly dried up at the impudent falsehood it expresses austria's official communication says in part quote, the central powers leave it in no doubt that they are only waging a war of defence for the integrity and the security of their territories End quote. but why is it that the central empires are now only waging a defensive war if it is not because after having opened the game with the certainty of crushing their opponents by the tremendous power of their formidable military organization they are getting beaten and overpowered by the unrivalled heroism called forth by their criminal attempt at destroying weak nations and enslaving humanity the austrian and german governments willfully forget that the important point is not to consider who are the belligerents that are now forced by the fortune of arms to wage a defensive struggle it is to ascertain who started the conflict of an offensive war to that question the voice of the truly civilized world has answered with no uncertain sound it was given and ever since most energetically emphasized the very day the first austrian shot was fired at belgrade the first thundering german gun and the first german soldier ordered to cross over the belgian frontier the austrian tentative peace document pretends quote, that all peoples on whatever side they may be fighting long for a speedy end to the bloody struggle end quote. this is so evidently true 
that the writer of the communication might very properly have dispensed with asserting it but have the austrian and the german governments forgotten that the peoples were equally longing for the maintenance of peace during the many years of intense war preparation prior to the outbreak of the hostilities in nineteen fourteen if they are not yet aware of it the central empires must be taught that the allied nations have another longing than that for peace to which they have given precedence and for which they will continue to fight strenuously until it is fully gratified they long for an honourable a just and lasting peace they long to see once more the old landmarks of civilization and political liberty emerging safe and radiant from the waves of teutonic barbarism they long and most earnestly for peace restored under such conditions as will put an end to extravagant ruinous and autocratic militarism which will henceforth relieve the peoples from the drastic obligation of maintaining at a cost more and more crushing an ever-increasing military organization for fear of being suddenly subjugated by an ambitious foe bent on dominating the world using the very words of the most admirable speech addressed by president wilson to the united states congress on the eleventh of february last the allied nations long for a peace which will provide quote, that peoples and provinces are no longer to be bartered about from sovereignty to sovereignty as if they were mere chattels and pawns in a game even the great game now for ever discredited of the balance of power but that every territorial settlement involved in this war must be made in the interest and for the benefit of the populations concerned and not as a part of any mere adjustment or compromise of claims amongst rival states the allied peoples are longing for a peace by which quote, all well-defined national aspirations shall be accorded the utmost satisfaction that can be accorded them without introducing new or perpetuating old elements of discord and antagonism that would be likely in time to break the peace of europe and consequently of the world the pacifists of the allied nations who have like the nationalist leader and his henchmen in the province of quebec clamoured for peace by compromise must have had a few hours of delightful enjoyment after reading austria's communication it is evidently the echo of their oft-repeated views and has been carefully drafted to stir them to further exertions in favour of a settlement which will gratify their ill-disguised teutonic sympathies austria's document is a plea intended to be strong for peace by negotiations irrespective of the war situation and its probable result this is the kind of peace dear to the heart of the nationalist leader and his friends the newspaper le devoir is their daily organ in montreal a sunday paper called le nationaliste is the weekly edition of the daily organ by what mysterious inspiration was le nationaliste able to forestall the publication of the austrian peace document by an article in its issue of sunday the thirteenth of august which summarizes the leading reasons given by the government of vienna to induce the allied governments to agree quote, to a confidential and unbinding discussion end quote, of the conditions of peace quote, at a neutral meeting-place since the official publication of the document our nationalists who had been subdued by the order in council tightening the censure of disloyal writings and speaking and reduced to the necessity of merely whispering their fond hopes of an early peace which would relieve the central empires turkey and bulgaria from the deserved chastisement of their crimes are getting again more outspoken in the expression of their views and of their teutonic proclivities the street-corner propaganda is being resumed with more discreet vigour than formerly when loud talk was considered safe new efforts better guarded against a compromising responsibility to instil the virus in the body politic are tried over again 
they creep in a few newspapers well known for their hardly disguised hostility to the cause of the allies and to the participation of canada to its defence all this under the hypocritical cover of a longing for the restoration of peace and the cessation of the sacrifices the country is still making for the victory for which all loyal british subjects are praying and doing their best to secure germany has prudently cowardly is the more proper word remained behind satisfied for the time being to play the part of prompter to her vassal austria but however desirous of remaining free to repudiate publicly if considered more advisable austria's move she could not help showing her hand she betrayed herself by the peace offer she has had the outrageous audacity to make to belgium she has barbarously crucified and what are the terms of this astonishing proposal i will mention only two of them first quote, that belgium shall remain neutral until the end of the war End quote. that germany should have decided to address such a demand to belgium is truly inconceivable has she forgotten the days when belgium was neutral and determined to remain so under the joint protection of england france and germany bound by solemn treaty to uphold belgian independence does she not realize that if belgium has not been neutral up to this day she has been the cause of it in tearing to pieces the scrap of paper which should have been the sacred shield of the nation she criminally martyred after having violated belgium's frontier overrun her territory destroyed her happy homes murdered by thousands her children her women her mothers her old men ransomed her to the tune of hundreds of millions without granting her liberty shattered her monuments of arts she has the impudence to ask her to betray those who hasten to her defence and who are pledged to require the restoration of her complete independence with due reparation as one of the essential conditions of peace a more brazen outrage cannot be imagined. It is on a par with that address to England whose neutrality Germany wanted to secure at the cost of her honour in betraying France. What was the true object of Germany in making such a proposition? Was it not to protect herself against the increasing likelihood that the Allied army would soon be able to enter on German soil by passing through Belgium? But in that event so much to be hoped for, there would be that difference that whilst germany invaded belgium in sheer violation of her solemn treaty obligations france england and the united states would honour themselves in turning the guilty invaders out of the soil they have sullied by their hideous presence and their horrible savageness the second german peace proposition to belgium reads as follows quote, that belgium shall use her good offices to secure the return of the german colonies end quote. and such a request is made by the power that in spite of the treaties it was in honour bound to respect ordered the german army to conquer belgium in a dastardly rush in order to reach france at once and crush her out of the conflict before she could be helped by great britain and her colonies incredible indeed germany and austria knew very well that their proposals would be indignantly and contemptuously rejected but they had a twofold object in making them first they wanted to stir up their own peoples to further efforts in carrying on the struggle by throwing upon the allies the apparent responsibility of refusing even a confidential and unbinding discussion of the question of the restoration of peace second they were anxious to make a strong bid for the support of the pacifists of the allied countries how much will they succeed in galvanizing the enthusiasm of their peoples for another grand effort remains to be seen so far as their attempt to move our pacifists to exert themselves in favor of a peace by compromise it has already met with a complete failure our nationalist pacifists are getting so few and so far between that they will most likely once more disappear and give up the street propaganda on completing the reading of the official communication of austria 
President Wilson at once gave his reply, authorizing the Secretary of State to issue the following statement, dated the 16th of September, and published broadcast on the next day. Quote, I am authorized by the President to state that the following will be the reply of this government to the Austro-Hungarian note proposing an unofficial conference of belligerents. The government of the United States feels that there is only one reply which it can make to the suggestion of the imperial Austro-Hungarian government. It has repeatedly and with entire candor stated the terms upon which the United States would consider peace, and can and will entertain no proposal for a conference upon a matter concerning which it has made its position and purpose so plain." On the 11th day of February, 1918, President Wilson, instead of addressing as usual a message to the two Houses, went personally to meet the Senate and the House of Representatives, in Congress assembled, and in a most admirable speech, replied to the then recent peace utterances of Count von Hertling, the German Chancellor, and Count Cernin, the Austro-Hungarian Foreign Minister, fully explaining the only principles by which the Government of the United States would be guided when peace negotiations do take place. This most important statement is published as an appendix to this book. It is worthy of the great statesman who made it, and deserves the most attentive reading on account of the lofty views and noble principles it expresses, of the large issues it involves, and of the ardent patriotism it inspires. The Prime Ministers of Great Britain and France have signified their entire assent to the energetic stand taken by President Wilson in the above-quoted reply to Austria's peace communication. The whole British Empire, France, the United States, and Italy are a unit in refusing to consider for a moment Austria's cynical peace proposals. Belgium, from the cross of martyrdom to which the Hun's barbarity has nailed her, has summoned all her wonderful courage, in her long and cruel agony, to repudiate with scorn the infamous German proposition to betray those who are pledged to be her saviours. Consequently, the peace offensive, so cleverly planned by Germany, and opened by her contemptible Austrian satellite, has met with as dismal a failure as the military offensive launched on the twenty-first day of March last, with such superior numerical forces and unbounded confidence that this gigantic effort would at last smash the Allies' resistance. Just as the Teutonic hordes are hurled back by the matchless strategy of the chief commander of the Allied armies and their incomparable heroism, the Austrian peace offensive communication is returned to their authors a miserable scrap of paper. And the grand and noble fight will go on until Germany is brought to her knees and forced to recognize that, quote, the resources of civilization are not yet exhausted, end quote. The modern Huns are doomed to a very sad awakening from their dream of universal domination. Germany has challenged the world to a deadly struggle. She must bear the consequences, however sad they may be. Four years ago, anticipating a crushing victory, she exulted over the early fall of her enemies, madly certain that in a few weeks they would kneel down crying for mercy. She trusted her all to the fortunes of war. They will at last go against her. She would have been cruelly triumphant. Will she be cowardly in defeat? Austria has blindly served Germany's criminal ambition. She must abide by the result of her blindness. Both carried away by passion, they forgot that there would be a terrible reckoning day for their atrocious crime. It is near at hand, and they cannot avoid being called to a severe account for their foul deeds. Kaiser Wilhelm II will soon find out that divine justice is very different from what he fondly believed. He will receive the proper answer to his blasphemous appeals to the Almighty to bless with success his guilty ambition to dominate the world. He will learn that from above the innocent victims whom he has mercilessly sacrificed to his lust of autocratic power have cried for vengeance and have been heard, 
he bears the guilt of blood and sacrilegious war he shall receive his deserts in due time End of chapter thirty seven